The drumbeat of momentum is building as global equities hit record highs. A new administration is coming to Washington, and investors like what they see. But the resurgence of the coronavirus is threatening to curb the enthusiasm. And the political bonfire around the election is still blazing inside the White House. But this is no time to stress. We are on the Investopedia Express. Turn it up. A lot has happened since we last spoke. Joe Biden has become the president-elect of the United States as news organizations declared him the winner on Saturday. That's not official until each state's electoral college formally casts their votes in December, and President Trump is taking his battle to court. This will be messy for the next few weeks, and we'll get into what to expect with Greg Valliere in a few minutes. And it's a wonderful day on The Express as we spend a few good minutes with Shark Tank's Mr. Wonderful as Kevin O'Leary jumps on board. And then it's terminology time as we get smart on this week's Term of the Week. But let's bring it back to the big stories coming right at us. Pfizer and BioNTech say their vaccine is 90% effective in treating COVID-19, and that news has equity markets blazing higher to start the week. Investors faced uncertainty last week with the elections with open wallets and portfolios. Equity markets rallied around the world as the future, no matter how messy, comes into focus for the next four years. For U.S. stocks, it was the best election week since 1932, if you're keeping score. You don't have to, we will. Sectors like technology, healthcare, green energy, and cannabis rocketed higher. A split Congress under a Democratic administration has been good for stocks for the past 50 years. Spending is coming, and stocks like spending. Up ahead this week, European tariffs on $4 billion worth of American goods are set to go into effect on Tuesday. Don't tell me you forgot all about the trade wars. The EU is planning to tax everything from frozen chemicals to ketchup in retaliation for U.S. tariffs on wine, prosciutto, and cars. First of all, why do Europeans want our ketchup? They can do better than that. Second of all, are they really going to go through with it, or are they going to change their tune given the election results? It's Singles Day in China on Wednesday, otherwise known as the Alibaba shopping bonanza that generates billions of dollars in e-commerce revenue for the conglomerate. Airbnb may file for its initial public offering this week. Talk about a company that has found its moment in the pandemic. After no one was leaving their homes in the spring, now everyone wants to stay in someone else's home, especially if it's nicer than theirs. Airbnb is aiming to raise as much as $3 billion in the offering on the NASDAQ, which would be one of the largest listings of the year. And Disney reports earnings on Thursday, and it's been a tale of two kingdoms for the mouse's house. Theme park revenues have been destroyed by the pandemic, forcing Disney to lay off 28,000 people this fall. But Disney Plus has been a blockbuster this year, and the company's new CEO, Bob Chapek, has laid out a plan to move the Magic Kingdom deeper into the digital world. And then, at the end of the week, we'll get consumer price readings from major economies, including China, India, the EU, the UK, and the US, with interest rates around zero everywhere you look and central banks cranking up the spending. Inflation is looming. Is it here yet? We'll find out this week. But let's bring it back to the current situation in Washington, D.C., where Joe Biden was declared the winner of the U.S. presidential election by all major media organizations on Saturday. It's not official until the Electoral College casts its vote for each state later in December, and President Trump is suing to change the results. We haven't seen a contested election since 2000, when George W. Bush defeated Al Gore due to a recount, and that was messy. This could be, too. To help us sort out what's coming next and what it means for investors, we welcome Greg Valier, the Chief Apology Strategist with AGF Investments, back to the Express. Welcome back, Greg. 
Great to see you. Good morning. If you look at how investors have reacted since it appeared that Biden would win last week, what are your key takeaways from from what they're doing? I think investors correctly perceive this as an administration that will have to move to the center. I think they also are correct in feeling that chances of a big tax hike are increasingly unlikely. So the investment fundamentals in a Biden administration actually look pretty good. Right. So this is far from over, though, in terms of the legal battle with uh, President Trump. He's 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 suing to change the results. He's not conceding or planning to. What are the next steps that investors should be aware of that we should expect to see out of Washington? I think that most courts will reject as frivolous a lot of the Trump complaints, but I'm not certain on that. Uh, there could be a court or two that says there's some legitimacy. And we can't forget over 70 million people voted for Donald Trump. And I think many of them, most of them, feel that the election was stolen. Right. So we've had a long period of uncertainty. Last week was very uncertain. Investors seem to power their way through it, assuming that they knew what the results might be, given where the sectors moved. Will this create more uncertainty for investors? Or do they believe ultimately that Biden will prevail and we will move on? I think it's the latter. I would say odds that the courts could reverse this are no better than 10%. Uh, Trump will persist with this. I think it could cause some weakness for Biden early in his administration if people question the legitimacy of his election. But I, I think enough Republicans and Trump associates will begin to say over the next week or two that he has to throw in the towel. Okay, beyond the election, the big issue really is the resurgence of the coronavirus, which is topping records here in the U.S. almost every day now, and the slowdown in the economic recovery, which we're starting to see manifest in different places. What are the key issues the Biden administration is going to have to focus on day one to get us out of this rut? What a list of issues. You have to wonder who would want this job. So you've got to get a budget done uh, by mid-December. You've got to get a new stimulus package done, and that may not come until after the inauguration. You've got to deal with the Georgia runoffs, which are crucial for the Senate, and on and on and on. You've got to get a cabinet put together, and will Mitch McConnell agree to some of these cabinet appointees? But the number one issue beyond any question, you're absolutely right, is the virus, and the virus right now is totally out of control. Right. We saw the havoc that it wreaked on markets as we had to shut down the economy back in the spring. Do you expect that we'll have to do another shutdown of that magnitude? If not, what should investors expect in terms of how the economy is going to grow from here? Probably not a shutdown of that magnitude, although Dr. Fauci comes back as a big player. He's been exiled to Siberia for the last couple of months, but he'll be back as a big player. I think that tougher standards on masks on social distancing are inevitable, but I don't see a shutdown. Greg Valliere from AGF Investments, thanks so much for the clarity. We appreciate it so much. Thanks for coming back to The Express. Great to see you. We have a very special treat this week as something wonderful is happening on the show. Mr. Wonderful, that is. Serial entrepreneur and investor Kevin O'Leary joins The Express with some words of wisdom for all investors and entrepreneurs out there. Kevin, you've built 
bought, sold, and invested in dozens, if not hundreds of businesses over the years. You've written several best-selling books. You've been on the Shark Tank hit show since 2012. You've seen it all. Welcome to The Express. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I want to lean in on your experience as a successful entrepreneur to get started. We have a lot to cover here. If you were thinking about starting a business today, given the pandemic and how it's changed the way we work and live, what industries would you be targeting? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting you ask that because to go back and look in, in history, particularly for startups, it's at times of extreme stress and chaos that some of the best business models emerge. And if we're not in a chaotic time, I don't know what is, obviously, pandemic, election change, all the rest of that is occurring. And yet there's a new uh, digital America, Canada, Mexico, 2.0, in fact, globally emerging. I would be looking at businesses where products and services can be sold direct to consumers because there is a massive change going on globally now. And, and I'll start with a behemoth company. If you looked at Nike's numbers just a couple of weeks ago for the quarter, their revenues were down, but their cash flows and margins were up because they were able to shift in a matter of five months to a third of their customers globally. Now, do not buy from retail anymore. They buy direct from the company at 100% gross margin. So any product or service that I'm being shown today as a potential investor, my first question is, what is your customer acquisition strategy? And is it direct to consumer? Because if that's what you're doing, I'm extremely interested. Those are very, very valuable businesses. And as a result, we're seeing this shift go globally. And I think it's going to be the epicenter of what changes. So, you know, products, sustainable products, new food products. I've looked at so many things around plant-based, low sodium. I'm just talking about food groups now, low sugars. That's a massive move being shipped direct to consumer. There's also all kinds of products such as home gym equipment. I can't tell you how many companies I've invested in there that make home gym equipment for condominiums and small homes. Sales are up 4,000%, all part of a result of consumer purchase behavior changes. Their preferences are changing. Right. We've seen many companies find their moment throughout this pandemic. Peloton is obviously the most notable, but even an older company like a Nautilus, the stock is up something, you know, 700% because it is in that wave. And they have also pivoted like many successful businesses to that direct consumer model. And they're reducing their margins, as you say, their land footprint, the rents, the labor costs to be able to do that. Let's switch gears here to your investor brain. You've backed hundreds of companies over the years. What characteristics, again, probably very similar to what you would do if you were a startup, but what characteristics? are you looking for now, especially that you may have not been paying attention to last year or the year before that are more important today because of the pandemic? Well, you know, there's a lot of concern now in the pandemic around mental health. And so that's a category I had not invested in previously. Alcoholism, opioid addiction, depression, ADD, all of these things are being accelerated and enhanced by the fact that people are being forced by for medical reasons, to be sequestered or locked up in their homes. And so we're seeing a really large growth in that. So I'd never thought about that as an investment thesis. And then along comes during just the election this week, and Washington, D.C. and Oregon legalized psilocybin. That's a psychedelic drug. And LSD is being reexamined now for its merits in microdosing towards mental health. So there's an investment area that I was not involved in, and now I am, there's a Canadian company called MindMed that is listed on the Neo Exchange and another one called Compass Pathways. I'm an investor in both of those. And they seek medicinal outcomes for microdosing psychedelics. This is not recreational drugs. It has nothing to do with the cannabis industry, which is so controversial. These companies are going through trials, phase one, phase two, phase three. 
And those stocks are the, my best performing assets in my portfolio in the last 12 months. You're the chairman of a new company that's putting out an automated savings and investing app called Beanstalks. Tell us about it and why are you attracted to it? What brought you to that? The genesis of this, I'm calling it a movement almost. You know, when the pandemic hit, I have over 50 private companies in Canada, Mexico, United States. And we immediately went in to start filing for the programs the governments were offering in those countries to help these small businesses, because basically they all went cash flow negative by the end of March. And I was stunned during this process. I've probably got 10,000 employees between the companies themselves and their supply chains. And they're in their late 20s, early 30s. That's sort of the typical company with maybe 20, 30 employees. Practically none of the employees had any more than two weeks of savings in the bank. They had nothing. They hadn't even started thinking about long-term investing. I'm not talking just about savings. What's your strategy for your life so that you re retire with some capital to live off? And then I did some digging. A hundred million people in North America do not have any investment account. A hundred million. And so I'm on a mission now. This is a focus I've got on financial literacy and trying to help young people in my own companies just save $100 a week, you know, towards a long-term investment strategy. Beanstalks was an investment I made to build a platform, an app that you can, everybody has a phone, you can download this app, and it makes it incredibly simple to be an investor. You attach it to your bank account, you decide how much you're going to put in a week, and then it, it builds a portfolio into a wide range of diverse exchange-traded funds, ETFs, for life. And so if you decide it's 100 bucks a week and if the markets do what they do for the last 100 years, you're going to end up somewhere around 1.5 million in your account when you're 65. And I'm trying to get every one of my employees and everybody that I can talk to about this to start thinking about it. You have to almost automate it. You have to make it automatic. We always say to people, the best day to start saving and investing was yesterday. The second best day is today. But you, you need the technological nudge these days because we do have the phone. And if you don't, make that an automated habit. You won't do it. You'll find a way to spend that money. We have a lot of individual investors and advisors who listen to this podcast, and they're always curious about how to pick the next tech unicorns, You know what's coming next on the horizon. Were there companies out there that you saw on the horizon a decade ago or so where you said, this is going to be a blockbuster. Maybe you invested in it, maybe you didn't, but you said that. That idea is going to catch at some point. Yeah, I think search was probably my biggest success. I mean, I, I remember Google in its early days, understanding that I was using it constantly. In those days, I was working on television with a woman named Amanda Lang. Those that are in Canada listening to this would remember that show, The Lang O'Leary Exchange. And Amanda would, would always be sitting on the desk searching our stories for the day constantly. And I said, what are you doing there? And she said, oh, I'm using this thing called Google. Well, you know, my, my natural interest is to be an investor in things that get used that often. And so that was sort of, you know, what I find in finding new trends is watch what you do with your own life during the hours you're awake and invest in those things that you know others are going to do the same thing with. And that's taken me into many different areas. It's, it's sort of what happened when I got approached to get involved in MindMed. I said, I can't do that. It's a Schedule One, you know, narcotic and I'm not interested. I mean, I never have invested in cannabis but when they said to me, this is not for recreation, it's for medicine, I got interested. And that's a new category we spoke of earlier. And the explosive growth of these categories, once they get discovered, attract many more investors, including institutional investors. Right. And as Warren Buffett likes to say, buy what you know, know what you own. 
But also, his partner, Charlie Munger, likes to say, have the ability to change your mind sometimes because the world changes. And if you don't change with it, you're going to miss some important trends. You've been a mentor to so many investors and many companies and entrepreneurs along the way. I'm wondering, who are some of your key mentors along the way? Well, that's, that's a great question. You know, I, I have a stepfather who lives in Switzerland. He's a Swiss citizen. And for my whole life, my business life, I've always used him as a sounding board. He's very strategic and thinking long term. And so he's one. But there's a Canadian named Jerry Patterson. He's passed away, but I'm always thinking about him. I was his business partner for a short period of time when I was a film editor in the late 80s. And I worked on a show called Bobby Orr and the Hockey Legends. I was a cameraman, sound man. And Jerry was my sort of shareholder. And he would say to me, listen, Kevin, in life, you're always going to have noise around you. You're going to have tremendous noise and distractions. And you're always trying to please people all the time. What you should do, and this was his advice that I still listen to today, is set a goal and shut everything else out. You're going to have distractors. You're going to have headaches. And as I grew my business, the learning company, and all of the challenges we had globally on that, I would always listen to Jerry, who'd be sitting on my shoulder saying, stay focused. Don't worry about criticism. Achieve the goal. What's respected in life is success. And if you can do that, you'll have people that will follow you. And if you can shut out all the distractors... And in my, you know, my political career, my business career, I'm constantly getting hammered on because I'm an opinionated guy. And I totally understand that. But what Jerry taught me is simply don't listen. <laughs> and I don't. And I really don't care. I tell the people that are working with me, we're going to achieve this goal and we're going to do it because it helps our business, our clients, our employees. And that's what matters. What was your first job, Kevin? Well, my very first job was at a, a mall in Ottawa, Canada called Lincoln Fields, which just went under the bulldozer last week. And I, the reason I tell you that is this story has become legendary, I guess. And, and one of the neighbors there picked up a piece of the, of the, of the mall and, and FedExed it to me for this reason. My first job ever was working as an ice cream scooper in a store called Magoo's. And it was owned by a woman, and it was the very first time I'd actually got employed. And I did it because the girl I was interested in grade 11 from Nepean High School was working in the shoe store across the mall. And I was trying to be near her at 4.30 when we'd get a break so we could, you know, go have an ice cream together or something. And my second day working there, she said to me, listen, Kevin, you're a scooper here, but, you know, when you give samples of ice cream to people, they take the gum out of their mouth and they throw it on the floor to taste the ice cream. And it was Mexican tile, so it got all stained with gum. And she said, now, before you leave, get down on the floor and scrape all that gum off the floor. And I said, well, wait a minute. You hired me as a scooper, not a scraper. And the reason I really didn't want to do it is the girl was across in the store looking at me, and I didn't want to have her see me on the floor scraping. I mean, these are all the crazy things that happen in your life that you look back at. And so I said to her, no, that's not the job description I was hired for. I'm a scraper, not a scooper. And she said, well, how about this? You're fired. And it was so humiliating for me. And I, I owe her so much because in that moment, I understood the difference between the people that own the store and the people that, you know, scrape the crap off the floor. And I, at that moment, knew which one I wanted to be. And I'm not dissing employees. You can have a great life working for somebody else but it wasn't for me. And so she changed my destiny forever. And then later in life, when I could afford to bulldoze them all myself, I wanted to go back and thank her, but we couldn't find her. Then the store had you know, gone and shut into something else. And we took a film crew there. But that moment is so important in your life when it 
pushes you in that entrepreneurial direction. And every entrepreneur I talk to has that definitive moment and they never forget it. Right. You remind me of, of my first boss, who's a woman who owned a very busy restaurant in Santa Fe, dressed to the nines and tens, greeting the customers. A pipe breaks under the sink. She's the first one under there with a wrench. I'm watching this as a 15, 16 year old going, what is she doing? We have all these people that could do that, but she's the first one under there. And that's so important. That ownership of the business, it's never your fault. It's always your responsibility. That is so key. I'm wondering, uh, let's talk about back to investors for a second. Who's in your investing hall of fame? Who do you look up to and go, I want to, I've been trying to emulate them. I like their strategy. I like their style. I like their way. Well, I've had a chance to meet Charlie Munger and he is my number one rock star investor. Why? Because he's a balance sheet guy and he's a cash flow guy. You can't BS Charlie. No matter what you show him, if he doesn't see the flow, the cash flow, he does not go. That's the whole thing about Charlie. And so I'm always listening to deals and people are talking to me about speculative situations. But if I can't see a path to cash flow within 36 months, I, I rarely invest. And, and so Charlie's so disciplined that way and they built a huge franchise. But you know, you think about that partnership, Warren Buffett, and, and he's such an amenable guy and a long-term investor, but the hardcore soul of that business is Charlie Munger, and he's balance sheet, balance sheet, balance sheet, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, and that's why I respect him so much, and that's how I've really modeled my own portfolio around the Munger factor. Right. Man of few words, but when he says them, they are so important, so measured. I quote him on my own bio page here because that notion of also being able to have the capacity to change, no matter how certain you think you are, is so important. And he taught me that as well. So great call on that. I'm wondering what books have you read in your career as an investor that changed your life and your approach? What made your, the light bulb go off for you? Well, the biography of Keith Richards is probably the best business book out there, although you would not think that's the case because he's a musician in the Rolling Stones. I've read pretty well all the business books and written a few myself. But if you read, the, read that biography of, of Richards about what he went through in life and the challenges he had and the stick to and the focus that he dealt with in, in keeping his life on track through all of these crazy times, it's incredibly inspirational for any entrepreneur. And I highly recommend it. Well, you are certainly a renaissance man, and it, it has uh, shown through your entire career. We know the, the best is yet to come always with you. We really appreciate your time, Kevin O'Leary. Thanks for joining The Express, and we wish you and your family all the best. Really enjoyed it. Take care. It's terminology time. Time for us to get smart on the investing and finance term we need to know this week. This week's term comes to us at the suggestion of Alex J. Patz, who hit us up on Instagram with his suggestion. Alex, you're about to get a leg up because we are sending you a pair of Investopedia socks for your suggestion. I'm wearing them right now, and let me tell you, they are butter soft. Alex's suggestion is wash sale. What is a wash sale? Well, my favorite website defines a wash sale as a transaction in which an investor seeks to maximize tax benefits by selling a losing security at the end of a calendar year so they can claim a capital loss on their taxes. The investor's intent is likely to repurchase the security again after the start of the new year, if possible even lower than where they sold it. Wash sales are a method investors have historically considered to recognize a tax loss without limiting their exposure to the opportunity they perceive in owning that security. Now, the IRS uses the wash sale rule to eliminate the incentive to wash sell by preventing the taxpayer from taking the tax deduction for security sold in a wash sale. So the IRS doesn't want you to do it. But why do we need to know about wash sales? Believe it or not, tax season has already begun and investors are anticipating the Biden administration to propose some heavy changes to capital gains and stock transactions. Plus, 
Investors may have seen some heavy losses over the past six or seven months in some stocks. They may want to wash out their losers and see if they can get them even cheaper next year. But make sure you know the ins and outs of the wash sale rule before you get taken to the cleaners. We'll let the recently departed and America's favorite quiz master, Alex Trebek, take us out this week. The Jeopardy host passed away last week after his courageous battle with cancer, but he inspired us with his courage, and he made us all a little smarter for the past 36 years. Keep the faith, and we'll win. We'll get it done. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. You got it done. And we are done with this week's round trip on the Express. We thank you all for your comments and good ratings on the podcast. It's our 10th episode so far. Keep those coming and sign up for our daily newsletters and social feeds. Be courageous and be kind this week and always. I'm Caleb Silver, and we'll talk to you again next week.